0: Our reading is from the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 5, verses 8 through 20. If you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness, do not be amazed at the matter, for the high official is watching and watched by a higher, and there are yet higher ones over them. But this is gain for a land in every way "'will not let him sleep. "'There is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. "'Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt, "'and those riches were lost in a bad venture. "'And he is a father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. "'As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, "'naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil "'that he may carry away in his hand.' This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness, in much vexation and sickness and anger. Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun, the few days of his life that God has given him. For this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil. This is the gift of God. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. This is God's word.
1: Father, thank You for uh, Your uh, living, active, uh, abiding, uh, transforming, holy Word. And uh, Lord, I thank You that we uh, need not add anything to it, uh, that uh, those um, whom You have given Your Spirit, uh, Lord, You've given us the ability to, uh, to understand Your Word. And so, God, I thank you that uh, for this uh, this obscure uh, section of Scripture uh, that maybe many of us uh, have never read before or confused by it. God, I pray that that you would um, enlighten our eyes, that you'd enliven our hearts, God. That we would, um, at the end of the day, long more for you. I pray, God, that you would expose areas of greed and fear in our heart that are. Uh, that are replacing uh, uh, our ultimate satisfaction and hope in You. Uh, So Spirit of God, please uh, just have Your way with us here this morning. Uh, May You be honored and glorified and may we be edified and encouraged. We love You. We pray all this in the powerful name of Jesus. God's people say, Amen. Amen. Good morning. morning. So we're back into the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, as Jolene just read. Thank you, Jolene. And um, I'm going to give you just a little bit uh, for those who are new or maybe have forgotten what the book of Ecclesiastes is about. We've, I think we've taken uh, uh, five, six weeks off, so I want to just kind of set our bearings as to what this uh, special book is about. Um, and uh, the the um, the title of this sermon is the pursuit of more. The pursuit of more. And we titled the sermon series through the book of Ecclesiastes, we titled it Words of Delight and Truth. And if you know anything about Ecclesiastes, you go, wow, how'd you, how'd you come up with that name? Because it's, it's anything, it, it doesn't feel like delight or truth. It, it feels like truth but not delight. Um, and it's because those, that's, what, that's what Solomon calls it at the end of the book of Ecclesiastes. And what we're going to learn here is that Ecclesiastes speaks to everyone living in a sinful world, whether you are regenerate, whether you know Jesus, or whether you don't know Jesus. And he actually, for those, for those of you that may not know Jesus, um, it will frustrate you uh, because of all the truth uh, and the paradox that we see in this book. But for those of us that know the God who created everything, uh, it, should bring, it should bring great hope. The preacher, the guy that wrote this, Solomon, he calls himself the preacher, hides none of his own sins. He's very open, honest, vulnerable. He doesn't hide his struggles. He is willing to ask questions and he pours out his own soul. The preacher lets us know that we're not alone in our questions. Uh, Whatever it is uh, that we are asking the preacher has asked. There are major themes in this book and we're going to actually hit every major theme except one um, uh, today. Um, striving after the wind. He talks about striving after the wind um, uh, seven times in this book. And That, that um, living life and trying to accomplish things is like, like trying to catch the wind. Uh, vanity is a word that's used 38 times and if you remember what vanity is, it's from the Hebrew word hevel, H-E-V-E-L. And it literally means um, vapor, vapor or a wisp of smoke. It's here for a minute and it's gone the next. Also, vanity can refer to a paradox. And what's a paradox? A paradox is, um, is something that doesn't make sense in our minds, in our hearts. For example, a paradox would be why do good things happen to bad people or why do bad things happen to good people? That's a Paradox. Another theme is um, under the sun, 29 times. And when he talks about under the sun, he's talking about everything um, on the earth um, and um, uh, apart from God. And then he talks about enjoying life seven times. We're going to talk today about enjoying life. So the question that I have right up front is how do we enjoy life and glorify God right now, Today no matter what you have going on in your life, no matter what um, types of fears you have, no matter what type of greed you might be mired in, um, how do you enjoy life today? I was a financial consultant, as many of you know, for 20 years. And one of the uh, two emotions that I saw in the lives of people that I managed their money, hundreds of people with uh, over $100 million, the two emotions were fear and greed. And fear and greed are actually what makes the financial markets go up and down. And fear and greed actually is what um, controls um, your ultimate uh, mindset and whether you're able to enjoy the day or not. These emotions of fear and greed drive all of sinful humanity under the sun. Whether you know Jesus or not, um, and whether you know it or not that fear and greed is our emotions that get a hold of all of us more frequently than I think we'd like to acknowledge, and it doesn't matter if you have much or if you have little. The vain pursuit of more wealth is striving after the wind and can cause fear or can cause greed. I talked about the greatest showman in one of the sermons a while back, and there was a song in the greatest showman where the lady sang. Um, all the shine of a thousand spotlights, all the stars we steal from the night sky will never be enough. Never be enough. Towers of gold are still too little. These hands could hold the world, but it'll never be enough for me. Never be enough for me. And we sing that song unconsciously. We all do. At some level. Whether you are governed by uh, fear or by greed. I was uh, flying back from Vermont on Wednesday, uh, visiting a church planting network out there, and I was coming back on Frontier. Don't ever fly from Colorado to anywhere that's a long ways away on Frontier. Um, it's like you walk in there and you're supposed to carry your own folding chair. Uh, like it's it's very very uncomfortable, but it's 230 bucks. So hey, what do you do? But I was, I, and, I, and I thought I wrote this down, but I couldn't, I couldn't find it. But as we were, um, as we had landed and we were taxiing, and I think they taxied for an extra long period of time so they could get this announcement out, they said that we have a special deal for you. You know what's coming? Special deal for you. Um, the, 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 the uh, what do you call them? Stewards? Not stewards. What, what are the people that? Flight, Flight attendants. attendants. Thank you. I'm aging myself. I almost said the wrong thing. Um, but they, they said, we've got a special offer for you. That if you um, uh, fill out this credit card application and you can spend it on anything you want, you'll get forty thousand free miles. You deserve it today, they said. I'm thinking, I deserve what? More debt? More temptation from another credit card? But that's the world that we live in. And as it as it pertains to your future, you, each of you individually, um, are you more prone to fear or greed? Are you more prone to fear or greed? You may not be greedy in the sense that you're trying to accumulate um, uh, millions of dollars. But my guess is that you operate out of fear at times wondering about the future. How am I going to pay for my kid's education? How am I going to retire? What if my um, college graduate kid boomerangs and comes back to the house? How am I going to provide for him or her? Whether it's fear or greed, there is a cost to you today by living in that place. And the cost is um, giving up, it's an opportunity cost really, where you're giving up time with loved ones because of all the, the, the worry. You're giving up the opportunity cost of being generous to others today. And many of you are giving up your health actually because of the worry The pursuit of more, even more of a good thing, can rob us of our enjoyment today. The pursuit of more wealth will disappoint you and will not deliver what it promises, and it will actually consume you, as we're going to see in the passage today. Income, money, wealth, they're neutral. They're actually a gift from God when used properly. But they will never save our souls, and they'll never bring ultimate satisfaction. In fact, just the opposite. They can keep us, money, income, and wealth can keep us from enjoying the journey and keep us in a place of perpetual worry about the future. So in today's passage, I think we'll be instructed to uh, be generous, to stop worrying, and be happy today with what you've got. So let's dive in, verses 8 and 9. If you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness, do not be amazed at the matter. For the high official is watched by a higher, and there are yet higher ones over them. But this is gain for a land in every way, a king committed to cultivated fields. This is talking about the food chain of wealth and work. He says, don't be amazed. The CSV says, don't be astonished when those at the top of the food chain hold power and wealth, who, have, who hold the power and the wealth take advantage of those that are supposed to be serving and or employing. There's nothing new under the sun. You don't have to just think of your, your current situation, whether it be political or whether it be corporate. Um, it goes back to the beginning of time. It's been happening in every culture, in every generation since Adam and Eve. There's always always someone higher up taking from those down below. This happens in every institution, government, companies, unfortunately churches, and even families. The rich and the powerful tend to oppress the poor and deny them of justice and their rights. And this is actually a hard verse uh, to translate. Um, The the way that the English uh, Standard Version has it, is that the best defense against government corruption is a godly king. Society needs a ruler with wisdom like Solomon someone who values economic freedom, who encourages his people to prosper by cultivating their own fields. However there's many other scholars that read this verse more negatively and translating it as follows, the profit of the land is taken by all even the king benefits from the field. That's the more common translation actually. And on this reading the king is not part of the solution but another part of the problem. And certainly um, that it's this way amongst many of the rulers who operated in the ancient world. And ever since then they have claimed the profits of the land for themselves. We have this experience. We have this experience with injustice in this fallen world that leads us to expect corruption at every level of government. Is anybody else cynical like me on that? And there's, and there's a certain sense that even in this cynicism, that is true. It's true. We're not to color everybody with that brush, but we're not to be astonished or amazed when it happens. It's actually part of the fall. Although there, there are some leaders who are motivated by a pure desire to serve society, but many others are notorious for using their position on. Um, Using their position and public funds to sustain their own lavish lifestyle and spend it on other people's money. Jesus even warned the tax collectors, he said, Don't collect any more than you have to. It should be on the top of every tax document, every 1099. As Christians were to respond differently, we cannot treat People this way. The gospel informs the way that we're to treat those who have less than us and those who work for us and those who are maybe subservient to us. You see, those who are driven to to acquire and gain more and more and more are never satisfied. They can't stop accumulating because they love money, they love comfort more than they love God and more than they they love others. And this this isn't just a problem for those who have much, actually. It's a problem. um, It's a potential issue for all of us, no matter what our income level is. Let's go to verses 10 through 12. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. Now he's transitioning from the the other people, from from the other guy, the governments, the corporations, those who are above us to have us look in the mirror at ourselves. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. You see the preacher is describing the underlying heart of the oppressors in the previous verses and the heart of all who love money. And I think I said it earlier, and I want to keep saying that money and wealth are neutral. They're not evil. The question becomes, what is the ultimate pursuit of making more money and accumulating more wealth? If you, um, what is your ultimate pursuit of, of saving more, investing more, and making more? It's a good question. What is your ultimate pursuit? You may not be characterized as I'm not characterized at this time in my life anyways, as someone who takes advantage or exercises control and powers over others. But you still might love money. You still might love money. And one of the ways that you know if you love money is to ask this question. Am I storing up treasure for future comfort at the expense of enjoying it now and being generous now? Are you storing it up for future comforts and pleasures? That's not bad on its own, but at the expense of not enjoying it today and being generous with it today. You see, the love of wealth and money translates into ultimate dissatisfaction because the one who loves money is actually trying to derive some level of satisfaction from it. And you may say, I don't love money. I love God. But maybe your actions communicate something different. Look at Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21, then verse 24. These are Jesus' words. He says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Back to our passage, verse 11, when goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? He's not talking about cannibalism here. He's saying the more you have, the more other people will consume off of you. The government. Sorry kids. Children. It's, it's a principle that is true most of the time. The more you make, the more taxes you'll pay. The more you make, the more charities will be knocking on your door. The more you make, the greater possibility will be that your kids will learn to depend on your wealth and not work for themselves. I saw this over and over again. It's, it's a principle that doesn't have to be true, but I can't tell you how many wealthy people that I managed their money that they were they were, in, they were enabling their kids, they were giving their kids everything so that the kids never learned to work. The more you have, the more others will see you as a resource to help them personally or to help their business or the more charities you'll have knocking on your door. And you know what? That's not all bad. But they won't see you for who you are. They won't see you as a human being. They'll see you as a, as a meal ticket or as a source to get something from. One of the reasons that here at WCC, if you're new to us, we don't, um, I think Stephen probably said it, we don't, we, not only do we not pass a basket for the offering, not that that's bad, but the pastors have no idea who gives what. And the reason we do that, we're actually um, shepherding with one arm, arm behind our back because what reveals our hearts the, the most actually is what we do with our money. But we've chosen not to know what people give because, because there's a tendency to want to, um, to, to want to suck up the people that have more money. They give them, that's just the honest truth. For 20 years I was a financial consultant and most of those years I loved Jesus but I was always struggling to see people as an image bearer of the triune God rather than a source of investment so I could make more commissions. He goes on to say is, he says, "'What advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes?' there is, what he's talking about is all the things that we have built up our savings, our investments, our multiple houses. What advantage has the owner of these things but to see them with his eyes? What's the point of striving more if it's just to feast your eyes on what you've accumulated? It's good to help people be employed. It's good to provide for yourself. It's not bad to prepare for years in which you may not be able to work, which in America we call retirement. But it's better to give rather than hoard your wealth and watch it accumulate with your eyes. Verses 12-14 through 14. Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much. But the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. There's a grievous evil that I've seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt. And those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is a father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. Wealth hoarded and wealth lost in these verses. Two, two extremes. Sometimes we can justify um, accumulating or hoarding wealth to make sure our kids have enough for, um, for whatever, for college or for an inheritance. So we have enough for retirement. But be, by hoarding for a future day, and by the way, I'm using the word hoarding on purpose because we're going to see that's the word the preacher uses. By hoarding or accumulating for a future day, we miss. we have a tendency to miss opportunities to be generous now by giving to those in need and towards the expansion of God's kingdom. The reason that national statistics say that the, that the average uh, uh, churchgoer, Christian, uh, gives to the church 3.5%, you know, I, I could say that I could actually make a case that God's word says that 10% is a starting place. The reason it's so slow or so low is because of worry. It's because of accumulating and hoarding for a future date rather than enjoying and being generous with it today. So a laborer, a laborer in this verse, it says, sweet is the sleep of the laborer. A laborer is someone who has a job who is working for another. That describes uh, most of us. The rich here, it says that the, the rich will not, the, the rich will not let them sleep. The rich is someone here who the preacher is warning us not to emulate. The rich is not necessarily someone who has arrived, but it's a journey to arrive one day. This rich person is keeping and hoarding and treasuring up his income and his wealth to his own harm. He's keeping it for his own comfort and pleasure, not necessarily for the good of others. And I want to just say this because I'm not going to say it a lot in here because of the passage doesn't really speak to it. But I, want to just, I just want to say, um, just maybe if anybody's ears are closing, that it is good and prudent to save and invest for the future so others may not have to take care of you. But can I tell you that, that in this country, I believe by the statistics, we're out of balance. We're out of, we're out of balance. And the the difference here between the laborer and the rich in verses 12 through 13, it's not a value statement. He's not saying that the one who labors for his daily bread, um, it's not a value statement. One's not better than the other. He's saying the one who labors for his daily bread has pleasant sleep. He sleeps well. And that laborer doesn't have his window cracked open at five in the morning and listen to the, the stinking birds. That's not pleasant sleep. I've got that problem. I hate the birds. <laughs> he, the, the laborer sleeps well. Uh, the, the worries of the future wealth of servicing debt aren't present for the laborer. Sweet sleep for the laborer with a full or empty stomach because he, has, he all he's doing is working for today. He's not worrying about tomorrow. He has nothing but his daily bread, bread, and as a result has seen the Lord take care of him every single day. And as a result, he's been trained by God's faithfulness not to worry. And it says that there's no sleep for the rich with a full stomach. CSV says, uh, calls that abundance. It's not talk about eating. It's talk about having a lot. Wealth brings anxiety. The more you want or think you need, the more anxious you get. I want to just so financial planning. Um, A lot of us, um, I was one of those guys for 20 years, and I loved doing it actually because I got to um, just see what makes people tick. And a lot of you guys use financial planners, but here's what we do as financial planners: we want you to worry about the future. We want we want to ask you when do you want to retire, as if that's a uh, in the Bible somewhere. And we say, okay, if that's when you want to retire, this is how much money you have today. This is how much you got to save to get there. And this is how much you've got to earn to get there. What does that do in your stomach even listening to that? It creates fear. And I'm not saying it's bad to, to have a financial consultant. It's not bad to plan. But if it's creating worry and if it's causing you to not enjoy today and not be generous today, I'd say scrap the plan. If you're planning for tomorrow at the expense of today, scrap the plan. It's not God's best. I heard of a, <laughs> a couple recently, they're not in this church, there are others that we know, that they're, um, I think they're in their mid-50s and, and they're, they're peddling fast to save enough money for retirement. And they went to their financial planner last time and you know what he threw at them? He says, you, you're not going to have enough. You know why you're not going to have enough? Because you've got um, four kids, and what if one of them come back into the home at age 27 years old? You better put more money aside in case that happens. Come on. how Can we just deal with some things when they come without having to plan for everything? Where is the line between hoarding and accumulating and prudence? And I want to submit to you that I have an answer for you. I would submit to you that the answer is found by asking another question. What are you giving up now in order to enjoy life later? There is constant fear and anxiety about how to retire when retiring isn't even a thing in the Bible. Then he goes on to say at the uh, end of verse, uh, verse 14, he says, and those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. Lost in a bad venture. Has anybody else besides me lost money in a bad venture? Yeah, yeah. Every time, every time it was too good to be true. Every time I was trying to make money quicker so that I could be more relaxed later. Later. When one is so consumed with building wealth for the future and comfort and pleasure in the future, it can bring the temptation to get rich quick and or be vulnerable to risky and shady investments. Um, When I was in the brokerage business, um, I actually studied Ponzi schemes. And like how how does that even happen? And I studied a couple major Ponzi schemes. One of them happened right here in northern Colorado where there's some guys that uh, sucked about $300 million out of people. And there was another uh, big one down in Denver. I think the guy's name was Chilcott. And, when you, and you could go to the, the, the court records. It's all court, court, court records who invested in it. A majority of those people were elderly. Majority of those people were elderly because they, they, they wanted to. They didn't have everything they needed and they were tempted to try to roll the dice and hit it big so that they can be comfortable and enjoy more pleasure. And there's a, there's a dual sense of loss here that the preacher is talking about. Those riches were lost in a bad adventure and, his, and he is a father of a son but he has nothing in his hand. There's a dual sense of loss here. Money is lost in risky investments but it diminishes the opportunity to provide for a family. The very opposite that you're trying to do to provide for your family when you go out and put money in shady investments. Uh, it might put you in a worse position. The other thing it does is that when you are striving to make money for a future date is you give up time with your kids. You give up time. My story is you know it, some of you know it, I had everything and all I could do is worry about protecting it. I had everything and I wanted more. And, and there's, a, there's a certain sense as even I was evaluating this, like uh, even talking with Nancy, like, I feel like my heart was good. Like we always wanted to make more. I felt like I was built to make money actually. And I always wanted to make more money so I could give more money away. But you know what? It actually caused me to be less generous today because I wanted to make more money to be generous later. And that's presuming upon the Lord. And the more I had, the more I worried. Jesus says this in Matthew 6, He says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Don't be anxious about what you'll eat or what you'll drink or, or about your body or what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. They don't invest. They don't save. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they are? And which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to a span of life? And why are you anxious about your clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O little of faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. He knows what you need. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And I came across this, this, uh, this paradoxical story about an American investment banker who encountered a Mexican fisherman. I want to read it to you. An American investment banker was at the pier of a small coastal Mexican village when a small boat with just one fisherman docked. Inside the small boat were several large uh, yellowfin tuna. The American complimented the Mexican on the quantity of the fish and asked how long it took to catch them. The fisherman replied only a little while. That wasn't very long. The American asked why didn't you stay out longer and catch more fish? The fisherman said he had enough to support his family's immediate needs. The American then asks, but what do you do with the rest of your time? The fisherman said, I sleep late, I fish a little, I play with my children, I take siestas with my wife Maria, I stroll into the village each, each evening where I sip wine and play guitar with my amigos. I have a full and busy life. The American scoffed, I'm a Harvard MBA and I can help you. You should spend more time fishing and with those proceeds you should buy a bigger boat. And with the proceeds from the bigger boat, you could buy several boats. Eventually you would have a fleet of fishing boats. Instead of selling your cash to a middleman, you would sell directly to the processor, eventually opening your own cannery. You would control the product, processing, and distribution. You would need to leave the small coastal village and move to Mexico City and then to LA and eventually to New York City where where you will run your own expanding enterprise. The fisherman asked, but how long will all this take? To which the American replied, 15 to 20 years. But what then, asked the fisherman? Millions. Oh, but what then? The American laughed and said, that's the best part. When the time is right we would announce an IPO and sell your company stock to the public and become very rich. You'd make millions. And the fisherman said, millions? Then what? And the American said, then you would retire. Move to a small coastal fishing village. (laughs) Where you would sleep, fish a little, play with your kids, take siestas with your wife, stroll to the village in the evenings where you could sip wine and play your guitar with your amigos. That's a paradox. That's the craziness that many of us find ourselves in. It's, kind of, it's crazy to think about it that if you work crazy hours saving for a day that we don't know will ever come while giving up the ability to enjoy what the Lord has given us today. Working harder so we will have more time so we won't have to work. We're giving up working so that one day we, we'd be able to enjoy everything that we're giving up today. I can relate with this fisherman in so many ways. So many ways. Verses 15 through 16, as he came, the the rich person, the one who is um, hoarding, accumulating, saving for a future date, as he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again naked as he came, and he shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so he shall go, and what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? We must leave it all behind. (laughs) We must leave it all behind. The, 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 uh, the Egyptians, the pharaohs, they would, they would bury themselves with all the riches. I mean if you, if you go into their tomb there's, there's, there's chairs, there's, uh, there's gold, there's silver, and the only thing that it did is it attracted robbers. The solution, what's the solution? Give it all away now and just be imprudent for the future. No, don't do that. The answer isn't to give it all away. The enjoyment is found in rightly placed hope and being generous. The way to to enjoy life is not putting it all away for the future but enjoying it today and being generous. 1 Timothy 6 Paul says this, as for the rich in this present age, who's rich in the present age in this room? You all are. You all are. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty or prideful nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. I just got to tell you something comical. Um, I'm, I'm not a prophet nor am I a son of a prophet. But here's the deal. Um, I've, I was in the financial um, uh, services industry for 20 years and everybody that you've hired to manage your money, everybody that you read about uh, in the newspaper, everybody you see on TV or listen to the radio, they don't have a clue. Nor did I. The only one that knows is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who sits at the right hand of the Father. And you're giving up um, enjoying today and being generous today for an uncertain future. Verse 18, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Thus, storing up treasure for themselves is a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. If you want to know if you're toiling after the wind, it's when you worry about the future. It's when you lack a thankful heart for today. And you're not being generous, really generous, with what he's given you today. What gain is there to him who will return naked and helpless? While all the while toiling after the wind to secure a comfortable future? Verse 17. Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness, in much vexation, in sickness and anger. That sounds horrible. That sounds horrible. I believe darkness here is an uncertain future. That every one of us sit in darkness. Because, Because we don't know what the future is. We don't know what the future is. He eats in darkness in much vexation or frustration. It's frustrating when we have a plan that we put all of our hope into and yet we have no idea what the real outcome will be. We can model the future. There's all kinds of, of modeling software. We can model how much to say. We can model what our returns need to be uh, that we need to get on our investments. How much we'll need to live on in the future. But it's frustrating when we see that the plans of man are at times different than the plans of God. Have you ever thought about that? That whatever your plans are for the future may not be God's plan for you. 13 years ago, I lost it all. Lost it all. I was, I was front cover of Money Magazine. Been on the, t- on the TV many times, radio. I had a sure plan. But God actually, in hindsight, in His kindness, <laughs> that His plan was not my plan. Because if He would have kept me on that trajectory, I'd never get to do this by God's amazing grace. Much frustration and sickness or affliction operating in the darkness of an uncertain future while not trusting in a good and loving and sovereign God can make us sick with worry and anxiety. And I'm wondering how many of our ailments today, how many of our suicides today are a result of an uncertain future and not being able to control it? In anger, sickness and anger, same thing. Others taking advantage of us, no control over our future, and losing money in bad ventures. You and I were made for a better world. The very reason that we are weary and never completely satisfied is because nothing under the sun can satisfy our heart's longing. Only the one above the sun can satisfy our weary soul. So can I beg you, don't put your hope, don't put your hope in the future under the sun. Put your hope in the future of being above the sun one day. You see, life, I believe, is meant to be wearisome. Life is meant to be out of our control. Life is meant to to show us that we we have um, ultimate satisfaction only in the one above the sun. In Ecclesiastes 3.11 it says that God has put eternity on man's heart. We all long for something the world cannot give. Now the preacher's going to contrast the grievous evil that he just spoke about, keeping wealth for ourselves, investing in bad ventures, and worry about not having enough. He's going to contrast that in the final verses here with what's good and fitting. And What the preacher says is to enjoy the journey. Enjoy all of it today. Don't wait till tomorrow. He says in verse 18 Behold what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun a few days of his life that God has given him. For that is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil. This is a gift from God. I don't know if you remember, we did a, one of the sermons, one, one of the challenges with Ecclesiastes is that he goes over the same topics over and over again. And we did another sermon a while back on enjoying life. And remember I, just, I said um, that we just need to have a whipped cream fight and eat a, eat a cricket. Just not take ourselves so seriously. What God is saying here, He's saying enjoy the journey. Take the focus off the man-made destination, whatever that is for you. Whatever that is for you, take the focus off the man-made destination and enjoy the journey and enjoy the good gifts that He's given you today. He provides it all. Relax. Stop striving. Stop looking for a better day and enjoy it today. Money's a gift. Money is a gift. Wealth is a gift. We need more wealthy people in the kingdom. I was back east in Vermont of this church planting network. And I was I was shocked at the amount of money that people gave to that organization. Well, hundreds of thousands of dollars that they that they gave. Rich people gave. So so um, let me just say this: if if you're going to um, put money in a risky investment, um, just give a bunch of it back to the church, would you? If you if you hit it big, now don't do that. The gift of money and time are a sign of God's common grace. It's available for everybody. It's something He provides for all of His creatures. As believers though, God's grace saves us and provides for us and allows for contentment. It elicits thankfulness and it leads us to being generous today rather than hoarding for tomorrow. And as we recognize God's um, good and gracious gifts to us, we're able to take joy in them and give generously to others. So eat and drink and find enjoyment in the few days, in the few days that God has given you. Accept this as a gift from the Lord. I want to encourage you to work for a modest standard of living. And be generous when we've been given more. Some of you for some reason God has given you more. And in whom He's given much is required much. Wealth and work are good things but they will not save and they will not satisfy. We're going to finish on verse 20. For he, the rich person, will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with the joy in his heart. He's talking about the, right, the, the rich person that has his hopes rightly set on the one who created everything under the sun. Remember to live Don't spend too much time reflecting on the past or dwelling or worrying about the future. Enjoy today. Listen to what James has to say. This is for me. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead you ought to say if the Lord wills we will do this and we will do that. As it is you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So I want to encourage you to be generous to stop worrying, and be happy. Those, those three things. And we can only do that. You can only do that if you know Jesus Christ. And recognizing that Jesus, as we get ready to celebrate communion, that Jesus gave himself to us. Let me say it a different way. He gave himself for us, for our sin. He gave Himself for us so that we would never suffer the penalty and the consequences of our sin. And He also gave Himself to us so that He would be with us. So that we could be satisfied in Him today. We'll be ultimately satisfied in Him when we're with Him in a place where there's no more sin, there's no more suffering, there's no more death. One of the uh, struggles that I had with this passage and even the way that I thought through it is that it, it feels to me to be a little more um, do this and don't do that. So let me just say this, that the, that the, the solution the solution, the, the impetus, the, the motivation the what's going to compel us to not worry to be generous and be happy today it has nothing to do with our income our wealth, our security today or tomorrow it has everything to do with Jesus and who He said He is. They said he'll promise, He promises never to leave us nor forsake us. So my hope and prayers is that as you uh, come up and take the elements that, uh, that you do business with the Lord. That you would just acknowledge Him Thank Him for being the one who satisfies, the one who provides for every one of your needs. First and foremost, your need for salvation and your need for hope. Amen. So come up, take the elements as you're as you're led, and then um, and then we'll sing. Thing. I'm sorry um, I don't know if this is out of routine or if it's helpful but Jesus said on the night that he was betrayed he took the bread and he broke it he said this is my body